And um, on the the first interview, I walked in and I'm like, oh, hey, mate, how you doing? Um, how long is this going to take? Because I've got to go see the police after this. <laughs> he sort of look, he looked at me. He's like, that's not the first thing you say on an interview, dude. Like, come on. <laughs> I was like, sorry, man, but I just, it's, it's something I've got to do or else I get in a lot of trouble. So I just needed to know. <laughs> Fair enough. And, yeah. and I guess honesty is always the best policy. Right? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Australia in down in the bottom part of the world uh, yeah I'm a personal trainer uh, I work in a business with my partner we run that together uh, rebuilding the business after COVID like everyone is but yeah it's pretty boring these days <laughs> <laughs> yeah hey so your background I mean you've you've managed to find quite a bit of success in you know in life um, eventually and you know you're doing well and and settled now but life didn't start out that way for you you had a little bit of a, a topsy-turvy childhood I did. uh yeah so the first time we were taken off our not i was about to say parents but it was only my mum we were pretty much taken off um i was one and a half or around there and yeah my mum a bit of backstory on her she's a heroin addict uh she's a criminal she's all that not so pleasant stuff that you want in a mother um but yeah she just got to a stage where she couldn't look after us and we were taken off her very early uh put into foster care and then pretty much through my whole childhood that was a regular thing we would uh, she would show that she could be a normal a normal parent if you want to call it normal uh get off drugs get clean and we'd get put back with her and then she would overdose somewhere or committed a crime or something like that and we would be taken back off her and put back in foster care. Wow. I think you mentioned something like uh, you ended up going to 40 different homes in the end? Uh, no, uh, 24 different homes. Okay. But yeah. if, if you count going into foster care and then going back home and then going back into foster care, it would be around 40, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So you know, as a as a a young a young child, kind of growing up, like that that must have been the most unsettling experience. Like people ask me all the time, you know, like where did you grow up? Where do you call home? And we moved around a little bit, but kind of nowhere near as much. Like, do you have, I guess, difficulty saying, well, this is where I grew up. This is my home. This is something that means something for me. And that that sort of concept. Um, I do. Uh, when people ask, like, where do you grow up? I just say all around. Like I grew up everywhere, so that's pretty much my answer. Um, I don't know if you know Victoria in Australia, but uh, I've lived right up the top end. I've lived right down the bottom end. I've lived everywhere. Um, so yeah, it's hard to sort of pick one one sort of spot and go. That's where I grew up. <laughs> yeah. 
And I suppose making friends at school would have been quite difficult if you're like never at one school for long enough to really kind of it, settle. Like it, it was quite hard um, going to a new school and knowing that potentially you're only going to be there for a couple of weeks or a couple of months or whatever it was. Um, you didn't really have time to sort of gather good friends, get your personality out, get people to know you and stuff like that because you just I'd been through it all before and it was like okay I'm not going to be here long so there's no point in getting to know people I'll just keep to myself and do my own thing uh got bullied a lot because people would figure out you know uh this kid's different to us and <laughs> and kids can be assholes so they would pick mm. me and yeah like how how's that impacted your ability to make and sustain relationships as you've gotten older because you know like obviously as you're coming into adolescence and ad adulthood like building those those friendships and relationships are really kind of key to mm -hmm. to you know your experience of life like did you really struggle um, as a result of that um i don't think i struggled to make friends i but the friends that i do make are, are really close and i don't have like I know a lot of people, but my circle is really small. The people that I, I get along with, my real good friends, is really small. So I think uh, I'm more I'm more picky with who I let in, if if anything, uh, just through past experiences. I, I don't know whether it's had an impact yeah. on that. It could have, but yeah. So you mentioned that your mom was a drug addict. She it was a heroin that she had gotten addicted to. What was that like you seeing your mom in that way? And like, what, what was it like growing up with a mom who just couldn't, couldn't have been there for you the way that you would have wanted her and needed to, her to be? Um, so it, it, it didn't really affect me uh, as much. It, it didn't really affect me that I know of until I got older and I realized what was happening. Because when you're a kid in that situation, it's just life. That's what it is. That's what you've always known. That's what happens. Uh, you do know that you're sort of different from other kids and like their family and stuff like that, but it's just life. Uh, it wasn't until later in life when I started maturing a bit, getting a bit smarter and a bit more switched on that I sort of figured out what was going on and what the situation was. That's when it sort of hit me and I started to sort of resent her a little bit. Uh, and then as I learned more and I developed my own drug habit and I sort of got an understanding of what was going on. Uh, yeah, just that's when things started hitting me and I'm like, okay, maybe my childhood was a bit messed up. <laughs> I would imagine like seeing, you know, going to school and seeing um, other kids and your friends having, I guess, what would seem on the outside to be a pretty normal life or at least a, a different life to the one that you were living. Like, Did you ever feel jealous or resentful of, of that fact? Not that I can remember. No, no, like, yeah, not that I can remember. I don't remember ever being jealous of anyone that they've got, uh, like a mum and a dad that's always there. If you want. Um, I did have a solid, uh, let's call them sort of parental figures in my life that were family. My nan and pop were always there whenever... Um, stuff got crazy and mum would overdose or something would happen. My nan and pop would always be there. So my grandparents. Then I guess being the only anchor in your life really which would have grown pretty close to them. Mm -hmm. Like what was, what was that relationship like? 
Uh, we were extremely close. I think all all of my mum's kids were really close with our grandparents because they were always uh, coming to get us on the weekend, taking us places, visiting us, and they were like the um, how can I explain this? They were like the positive in our life when there was so much negative. Yeah, and as I can imagine, like being in that situation and, and looking out and seeing them as the the only kind of sense of stability and and people who I guess really value because going from from home to home um I guess there must be a question mark in your mind about all of the families that you're staying with like well that they're not they don't really care about me like at least they can't do because I'm not in their life for long enough mm-hmm. so there were there were some um foster homes where the, the carers there were just there to look after the kids and collect a paycheck. That's all they were. Uh, but occasionally you would get a group of foster parents that really cared and, like, they would try and... I, I had a lot of anger issues when I was a kid. Uh, I guess it was my way of dealing with things. Um, and a few of the foster parents that we came across would try and help me work on my anger issues. Uh, I tried to... A little bit of self-harm when I was a kid like I used to headbutt brick walls and stuff to I don't I guess to hurt myself I don't know why but um it was just something I did and um yeah a few few foster parents would try and help me work through things they would send me to send me to counselors and stuff like that when I was young to just chat about what's happened in life and see if I can I don't know make sense of it I guess mm-hmm. Did you ever feel like you could really trust them? Because, uh, like I mentioned, if you're not in in their lives for for much uh, for any period of time, like, did you feel like these were people that you could rely on to any degree? Um, I've I've always been. Uh, it's hard to say. As a kid, I was trying to remember what I was like back then. Uh, it was a long time ago. <laughs> um, it's hard, but I've always been someone that trusts someone at face value. But then if they give me a reason not to trust them, then I probably don't ever again. So I would say as a kid going into a foster home, these people are there to look after me, whether they care or not. My initial would be like, okay, I need to trust these people because they're essentially looking after me. Fair enough. But getting enough. getting close to them, I wouldn't I wouldn't have got close to them as like a parental figure. Did any of these, you mentioned a, a couple of these families kind of maybe saw you as a paycheck, um, but like, did any of them ever treat you badly or was it pretty much okay? Um, the, the majority of them that were in, so there's there's a couple of different like foster homes you would go into. There's short-term placement, which are like um, kids that are going into foster care, but they haven't found a home for them yet and they can't stay with their parents. So they would stay in like a short-term placement. Uh, and then you've got like an actual foster home where a group of kids that can't stay with their parents just come and stay at the one house, or you've got like a family that you can go and live with. Um, some of the people at the short-term placement and the actual foster homes where heaps of kids would go, they were stern on you, but I don't think they were they were doing it intentionally just to be assholes. Uh, I think mm. just because they come across a lot of kids that have got a lot of uh, anger issues, they've got a lot of problems because of what's happening in life, that they've just got to be that, you know, very strict on on them. 
did you so you have you have siblings right yeah 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 so i've got two two brothers and two sisters and i assume when you got taken away from your mom like all of you got split up and got sent to different homes and stuff like did you get a chance to see them or keep in in contact with them at all while you were going through yeah yeah so um we were together until i was about eight years old and then we got split up and um Mm. we went all, all went to different foster homes my older brother got adopted by a family uh my sister went she was like a three and a half hour drive over the other side of the city from me and I ended up going down near the beach, so, which was quite nice. Okay. The beach is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever feel, um, I guess, any kind of sense of jealousy? Because, um, you know, like seeing your siblings going off to maybe better homes that, that you might have been, or at least finding some stability that you weren't able to, to find yourself. Did that impact your relationship at all? Uh, not, not with my brothers and sisters. Not at all. I uh, When we actually got split up, the first home that I went to was a, a really good home and they had great foster parents there that really cared. Um, and they they helped me work through a lot of issues that I had uh, from a bit of tough love. Like they were very strict on me um, and I'm actually very good friends with them to this day still. So I still chat with them and yeah. Okay. Go back to your mom a little bit. Um, so you said that she kind of overdosed a few times um did you ever witness any of these episodes like is this was this a a situation where you saw her um high or on drugs or like you know being overdosed or (laughs) uh seeing her on drugs was a daily thing like under the influence or drinking or taking drugs or anything like that was a normal thing in the house uh seeing Mm -hmm. her asleep on the couch putting cigarettes out on us and stuff like that uh that was maybe a weekly thing um when i was living at home that was um yeah it's just it was a normal thing like people see it in movies and they're like oh my god that's so shocking but to me i'm like yeah. that was, was just da- life that was a fucking daily thing like <laughs> yeah yeah and i i i laugh and joke about it now um, because I'm comfortable with it and I've dealt with everything. Um, please don't. People li- listening at home take my laughter as like a make it sound. Minimize it. You minimize yeah. it, yeah. yeah. I have no experience with drugs whatsoever, so uh, not even smoke weeds uh, <laughs> i may i think i think uh, probably like tried a couple of cigarettes when i was in my teens you know yep. just trying to to fit in and do trying to be cool <laughs> yeah pretty much but it just there's just never really my thing so yep. so i have no context in which to to kind of understand or imagine a life where you're where where that's just you know part of of your experience where you see people around you doing that or, or where you're getting involved in it yourself you got onto drugs eventually and you mentioned your mom actually gave you um off your speed at 16 and she wanted you to do it where you were safe so she mm-hmm. could see you taking it mm-hmm. like that's a it's a really interesting dynamic the the fact that okay well you know the acceptance that that drugs is a way of life for me and therefore will be a way of life for my child and so let me introduce him to it mm-hmm. as as a means of making sure that he's doing it in a place where i can see him and supervise him even if i'm not necessarily able to to kind of control my own addictions and mm-hmm. and and my own actions but it's it's a, it's a kind of 
um, it's a very interesting dynamic because I, I can't I can't even imagine how you get to that point where that makes sense to you. Like, did did you kind of <laughs> feel like it? Were, <laughs> were you like, yeah, thanks, mom. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, so, <laughs> I, I guess how it gets to that stage is uh, my mom has taken a lot of drugs for a lot of years, and her mind is messed up. Uh, and I think to this day, like I haven't spoke to her for like about 11 years. So I think to this day, she's still messed up. Um, but <clears throat> at the, at the stage where she offered it to me, um, I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't planning on taking, taking drugs. I knew of them, but I was sort of against it. Like because of what's happened through the childhood and everything like that, I was sort of like, eh, it's not something I want to have. Um, but when she pretty much came up to me in the kitchen and said, hey, try this, I was like, mm, now that you've put it in front of me, I'm curious and I'm like intrigued to know what the big fuss is about it. Like what, you know, why, why you have become addicted to it, why pretty much everyone I know in my life takes it and has it and stuff. So now that it was put in front of me and the option was there, I, yeah, unfortunately tried it and pretty much lost the next 11 years of my life straight away. That was just gone. Yeah. Like, so growing up, before you got to that point where she actually put the drugs in front, did you, did you ever feel like this was just going to be inevitable, that this was just going to be a road that you're going to go down at some point. Maybe you didn't have a necessarily have a plan to go out and find drugs, but did you just kind of accept that this is what was going to happen or was a part of you there kind of resistance and, and dedicated, you know what, this is not going to be who I become? Um, so once I got old enough and I started figuring out what was actually going on and what drugs were and what my mum was doing, I was dead against it. I was like, I'm never, never going to do it. It's had such a bad impact on my life. And I haven't even got to the stage where I've had it yet. Uh, I was dead against it. But as I said, once it was put in front of me, it was like a, just the switch went and I'm like, okay, now I'm curious to what, what the big fuss is like, you know, like why, mm. why, why this <laughs> little white powder has had such a, influence on my life and this is essentially the first time i've thought about having anything yeah and and so the speed led you into into coke and acid and and other drugs and pretty much everything, everything except heroin <laughs> yes yeah so um it's interesting when i talk to people about like being an addict and they're like okay so they just assume that you're an addict you have everything and you don't have some sort of uh, some sort of line in the sand. Whereas for me, heroin was a, let's call it a dirty drug. It was like something that if I start taking that, everything's gone, everything's over. It's, I might as well just die in the street. Like that's something that I stay away from, but everything else I can have in copious amounts and just abuse. Mm, and, wow. and that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. Goodness. Uh, I wonder though, because I guess the the classic stereotype of the of someone who's addicted to drugs is that they um, they're in complete denial about how you know the state that they're in. Like, was is is that is that any part of that true, or or 
did you know that you know what like i am addicted but i just can't break myself free from it 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 gets to a point where it's no longer fun and then you sort of know yourself you're like okay I, i have a problem but i'm not ready to stop and when i when i was in my teens like i had people uh trying to tell me you know slow down stop doing as much don't do this don't do that and i'm like eh, i'm all right i'm in control i know what i'm doing i'm i'm fine <laughs> i wasn't in control i didn't know what i was doing it had uh taken a hold of me and yeah i just as soon as i had that first try of speed uh my body loved it my mind loved it and mm. yeah it just started going a bit harder on it started taking other stuff and yeah just i guess it helped me um sort of forget about a lot of things that were happening in my life and had happened in the past and while i was high i was just like yep enjoying the moment not yeah but it quickly became not enjoyable and it was something that i needed to do <laughs> yeah and i guess it's it's similar from how from what i've heard about alcoholism in, in that respect that you know it it starts off as i guess a sense of escapism uh, and and then before you know it it's essentially wrecking the relationships in your life and your ability to function and, mm-hmm. and so on did you at any point think that you know i can't get out of this now this is just this is just who i'm going to be for the rest of my life did you ever i guess accept come to any, any sort of acceptance that you were never going to get off drugs i don't i can't remember being like that uh once i sort of come to the realization that okay i've got a problem i did want to fix the problem but didn't know how and didn't know like what the first step was or where i should go or how i should do it and it sort of just kept getting worse and getting worse and getting worse i uh i sort of try to visualize it like the you know alice in wonderland the rabbit hole you just you just keep going down and you're falling and you don't sort of know how to get out of it it's like that's what it feels mm-hmm. like <laughs> yeah well uh, so you mentioned you said that you were on uh, you were addicted for about 11 years do you remember mm-hmm. much of that that period at all um i remember bits and pieces here and there um i don't remember a lot of it uh and like time frames are something that i struggle to remember as well because most of the time i was either high or I was in a shitty situation. Um, I was either a, a drunk as well. Like I used to drink a lot when I was high. Uh, but yeah, I remember little bits and pieces here and there. You talked about your anger issues and you know being silly, going from home to home. Your your uh, mom being being an addict and and witnessing the thing that you did and being separated from your family and 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 all of that i guess kind of compounding the issue to make i guess life just seem really unfair you know how did you what was your release for your anger did you figure out a way to kind of channel that into something positive uh i did when i was a teenager uh, i started playing golf i know it's it's not a physical sport it's not anything that you should be doing to like release anger but it was something for me to to focus on uh and i i pretty much threw myself into playing golf uh, i got really good i was 16 playing off a handicap of below five so very very oh, wow. good okay. for, for 16 years old but um 
after I started taking drugs and drinking and everything, that just went out the window and I kicked myself every day for it. So you were, were you still playing golf while you were um, going through um, the your addiction or, or did it just like, did you just drop it by the wayside completely? Uh, I, I tried to keep playing, uh, but unfortunately, like I wasn't training because I was always high or drunk. Um, and yeah, it just sort of, I just stopped doing it. Uh, it mm. broke my grandfather's heart because he was pretty much me and him did that together. And he'd already soaked like a lot of time into me to help me get coached and everything like that. And that must've been really difficult because, you know, you mentioned how, how close you and he were and, and this was one of the, you know, having such a having a family life where you're all kind of disconnected and this being the, the I guess the, the one stable connection um, did, how did you feel like seeing, I guess, knowing that he was so upset about it, but you know, that you just, you just weren't able to, to go and do it with him and, and have that experience with him anymore. Um, at, at the time it didn't really affect me because I was always high. Like I was just, getting on it and pretty much had no feeling. I was sort of numb. Uh, when my pop passed away though, uh, that's when things sort of hit me. And that was the, the first time I tried to get clean. Uh, after he passed away, I moved in with my nan and um, tried to work on my addiction and get clean and sort of find a job and, and live with my nan and help her out. But unfortunately, um, I was just making the situation worse there. <laughs> were you as close with your nan as you were with, with you? Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. definitely close with nan. Still am. She's, she's still alive today. And um, every, every Mother's Day, I ring her. I go see her on my birthday, her birthday, Christmas. Um, yeah, we're very close. Very much, much closer than me and my mum. People find it weird that I ring my grandmother on Mother's Day, but through my childhood, she was my mother figure. She essentially is my mum. She looked after us. She made sure we were, yeah. we were cared for and everything. So, yeah, that, and that that makes complete sense um, to me, at least anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so your granddad passed away, and you tried to quit drugs. What avenues did you try? Did you try to do it yourself? Did you just go cold turkey and say, you know what, that's it, just kind of. Yeah, the first, the first time I tried to quit, I went cold turkey. Uh, I was living at my nan's. I found myself a job. Uh, I actually went pretty well for that period of time. Uh, while I was working, I was doing good. I could stay off everything. I was drinking as a uh, as like a substitute for the drugs, drinking quite heavily. Um, but yeah, when I lost my job, I started getting a little bit depressed started taking drugs again and then things got really bad and um, I started not working, not paying rent at my nan's house, not uh, paying for food or anything. So I was pretty much eating into her retirement Um, and yeah, she unfortunately kicked me out. Uh, Must have been hard for her to do. Uh, Yeah. But it was... At, at the time, I didn't realize it, and I didn't have any resentment towards her at all or anything. I I never could. Like it was just like, okay, cool, man. I'll let I'll be out tonight. Um, yeah. But at the time, like I didn't realize it, but she was actually trying to help me. She was like, okay, 
if I kick him out, like he's going to hit rock bottom and then hopefully build himself back up. Uh, and it did happen, but it just took <laughs> way longer than it should have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I can imagine for her in that situation, it would have been so difficult mm -hmm. because, you know, here she's thinking, well, at least he's under my roof and, and I know, I know what he's doing. I know where he is and, and, you know, he's somewhat safe, but if I kick him out, then I don't know anything mm -hmm. whatsoever. And, you know, it's while I hope that this could be a means for him to, to, to get clean and, you know, oh, so equally, sorry, go on. So she, she didn't know about my addiction. I kept that secret. Oh, well, okay. she, she knew that I drank uh, quite a lot, uh, but at the time, like she drank quite a bit as well. So we sort of just drank together. Uh, but yeah, mm. she didn't know about my addiction or anything. Uh, I think she had some sort of idea. She's pretty cluey. Uh, but we've never had that conversation about me. Am I on drugs? Am I taking drugs or anything like that? Uh, it wasn't until I'd already, like I cleaned myself up and I was coming to the end of my like being fully clean off drugs that she was like, okay, how bad has it got with you? And we had that conversation. Um, I assume your, your granddad would have, uh, would have known about your drug taking though. I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> it was sort of very early in my addiction when he passed away. So yeah, was, um, I think he had, so, I, th I think he had some idea that something had changed, but he wasn't sure yeah. what, do you think losing him kind of, I guess, pushed you further down into that spiral? So, so drugs becoming an escape from from the grief of you know losing your granddad. Um. So once I moved out of Nans and I started dealing with everything on my own, uh, yes, I think that I hadn't properly dealt with his death uh, and. The, the drugs once again became an escape for me to sort of just forget about everything, uh, have some fun, get high, hang out with people at the time that were friends. Um, but yeah, just, I don't think I dealt with his death properly because we were extremely close. So, like, so you said that you tried quitting cold turkey. Like, did I imagine that would have been quite painful physically with withdrawal symptoms and, and stuff like that? Did you did you have anyone to help you at all get through that? Uh, just just my nan, because I was living with her the first time I tried to do it. Uh, there was a little bit of uh, I felt really under the weather. I felt really sick because I was used to having something in my system, uh, but. Yeah, as I said, I did really well the first time I tried. I think I lasted about five, six weeks, uh, and then I mm. lost my job and everything just went back to where it was. I went back to sort of old habits, what I'm used to. Uh, it's the same with uh, like clients that we have at the moment. Uh, we try not to get them to do everything at once when they're transforming their body because it's, it's too hard. Uh, and at that yeah. stage, even though I did it for six weeks, it all came undone once my routine in my life changed. You know what I mean? I, I can imagine that would have been like, you know, especially doing it on your own, um, kind of trying to figure out there isn't any 
support or information of well this is the best way to achieve the result that you're trying to get mm, yeah. um there yeah. are there are okay. um like drug rehab places here in australia that are awesome uh mm. I, I always i always think if i had gone to one and like admitted myself to one would i have got off drugs quicker or would it still be a situation of because i wasn't ready to get off them that it wouldn't work for me yeah are they free or is it is it something that you'd have to pay for uh I, um as far as i know there are free ones but then there are some other ones that you pay quite a lot of money for from what i've heard <laughs> fair enough uh so so you don't kick to you out mm -hmm. and i guess now you're essentially homeless right mm -hmm. and, and kind of spiraling further into into drug abuse um did did any part of you kind of think to yourself, even though you're in the kind of middle of this situation, did any part of you think, you know what, I, I don't want to be like my mom, I don't want to, to repeat her her mistakes, or was that just not something that you thought about at the time? Uh, so that thought has always been in the back of my head ever since I was about 13 or something like that. Uh, and my, my rationale for not turning out like my mom is don't take heroin. That's that's the one sort of thing. If you take that, you'll turn out like her, you'll grow up and have kids that don't like you or don't talk to you or, you know, or you'll just die in the street or something like that. Uh, but that, um, that vision sort of changed once I got to a point in life where I was hitting rock bottom and I was like, okay, I am starting to turn out like my mum now. I'm starting to become a, a loser. I'm homeless or living on people's couches. Uh, I'm always on drugs. I, you know, I can't hold down a job. I can't be a normal functioning member of society. I, yeah, I can, I can imagine as, you know, having your mom there as this, this, look at this, this real example of what you could be and, and knowing actually, I, I definitely don't want to, I don't want to go down that route. So you mentioned that there was the single worst decision you ever made uh, was moving back in with your mom. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Why do you classify that as a single worst decision you ever made? Because moving back in with her, like my, my grandfather and my nan were like, do not do it. Uh, you know, you're playing golf. You're well on your way to becoming a professional. You're going to school. You're getting an education. You're doing everything right. If you do this, things are going to fuck up. They're going to get really bad. And I ignored it. Bad decision. I should have taken their uh, their wisdom on board. And, um, yeah, from that moment, it's just everything went downhill. And it went downhill very fast. What did that look like for you, though? So, so was it a case of being just constantly, constantly on something, or um, we just kind of waking up in and finding yourself in strange places and not showing, like losing time? And um, I never really woke up in weird places. I sort of always found my way back to my house because most of the drugs that I took were were uppers. They kept you awake and kept you sort of alert. Uh, I never really took any. <sighs> I never really took any like mind altering sort of things until later in life. Um, yeah. But yeah, the just waking up some mornings and instead of going and getting breakfast, I would rack up a line or have a pill or, you know, just something to get me up and going and functioning properly. Or I'd be drinking at like five in the morning or just getting to bed at five in the morning. 
trying to go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I I know I know the uh, the pain of getting to bed at five in the morning well, but um, it's it's the labor of love of editing this podcast yeah, more yeah. than anything else. <laughs> that's that's a positive thing, definitely. Uh, yeah, well, I'd have to ask my wife, but yeah, I'm not so sure. <laughs> so you obviously eventually quit um, drugs, so you know you're you're clean now and, mm-hmm. uh, and and stuff. Like, what did you do differently when you did quit? Um, so there was a lot of things that, uh, were happening in my life. Like I was homeless. I couldn't hold a down job. Uh, I'd eaten out of a few garbage bins, which I'm not quite fond, happy of, but yeah, it happened. Um, all these things were starting to compile up and I was getting to a a sort of fork in the road where I was like, okay, there's two possible ways to go here. One is end up like my mum die in the streets, whatever it is, but that is not somewhere where I want to go. The other sort of road is work on yourself, improve your life, take control of your life. Around that time, something, and it's a significant moment in my life once again, where something happened that made the decision for me. Um, I was out at a nightclub. Uh, there was music going. I couldn't, couldn't, barely hear anything. Uh, I'd been up for three or four days partying. So I was high as I was drunk as well. And I ran into one of my good friends. And because I never really grew up with family around me, my good friends became like my family. And this friend turned around to me and he said, Hey, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. You're getting too bad and you're scaring me. And at the time I was like, I was, I was just like, yeah, whatever, man, sort of, you know, brushed it off and continued partying, went on with my night. Uh, when I came to and I sort of sobered up, I, c- I can't remember anything from that three or four days, but I can remember that single moment and I, I could hear him clear as day over the music, everything. It was just like, and I've talked with people about this and <laughs> they're like, your mind was like, you need to remember this moment, like with everything that you've got in your system, everything that's going on, you need to remember this moment. And um, yeah, that was like my sort of snap point. I was like, okay, I don't want to start losing good friends because then I'll have absolutely no one in my life. And the first thing I had to do was look at myself and go, hey, you're the one that's fucked up here. You're in this situation because of you. Yes, you've had influences around you to make the decision sort of easier to go down this path, but ultimately you're the one that made the decision. You're the one that's let it get this bad. Uh, And then from there, it was a three and a half year process of failing until I succeeded pretty much. (laughs) Um, Mm. I I tried, first time I tried to get clean uh, that time, I just tried to go cold turkey and couldn't do it. I lasted about four days and then just, yeah, hit it really hard. Tried again to go to cold turkey, couldn't do it. After about six months of trying to go cold turkey and figuring out that I can't do it that way, it doesn't work for me, I started going, okay, let's just work on having less drugs or, you know, not having this particular drug or not going out this weekend and seeing what happens. So I was trying to find other ways Mm. where I could sort of um, wean myself off it. And yeah, that started to work pretty well. I still 
I still fucked up. I still had my drug binges. I still went backwards at times. But the the other option, like the quitting option, was going back to being like my mum or I could keep working and keep progressing and, and accept that I'm going to mess things up. Like, <laughs> and, and three and a half years, that struggle, is, it's a long time to go through that. Um, did you at any point feel as though, you know what, this... This is just too much. I can't. I can't do it. I don't have it in me to to get to this point where I can say I've kicked this habit. Uh, I I felt like that nearly every day, man. Up up until I started going to the gym when I when I was about a year and a half off getting clean, I started going to the gym, and um, everything changed. Like I, the first couple of weeks I went, I was really weak. <laughs> had no idea what I was doing, uh, didn't really enjoy it, but I was forced to go. Uh, and yeah, just, it started taking a hold of me and it, it started becoming my addiction that was better than what, whatever else I was having. And that's really interesting because, you know, when, when people talk about breaking habits, they, they always say, well, you need to replace it with something better. Mm -hmm. So part of the reason why you fall into the issue of, of repeating old habits and bad habits is because, well, partially because of um, it's it's the familiarity, but also because of boredom. You know, you sit there and you don't really have anything else to do, and it's just the natural response to, to I guess, solve your boredom. And if you don't have something good and positive to replace the time and energy that you spent um, creating this habit in the first place, then it's very easy to just fall back on that. Mm -hmm. um, so. So you started going to the gym and I can imagine that, you know, if after such a long period of time, I guess not really taking care of your body, um, it's, you know, those first first few days and weeks in the gym would have been a real struggle on oh, you man. physically. <laughs> I was, I was, I thought I was the man. I thought I was tough. But when you go and start lifting weights around guys that have been going to the gym for years, yeah, you quickly realize that you're a pipsqueak. <laughs> Uh, I was I was very weak. Uh, I could barely even lift the bar on some of the exercises, um, and like walking around because. So I was uh, around sixty nine kilos at that stage. Wow! Uh, extremely skinny uh, in pounds. I think that's like around one hundred and twenty pounds or something like that. So extremely underweight, and um, yeah, I was intimidated i was nervous uh just didn't want to be there the first couple of times i went but my my brother forced me to go and he's like uh, if you're gonna live with me you're gonna come to the gym with me every day that i go you're gonna do some workouts you know start doing something positive i was like all right but yeah it's just after about three or four weeks, man, I started feeling a little bit stronger. I started eating good food. Uh, I started seeing some body composition changes, just little ones here and there, you know, like your tricep mm -hmm. popping through and stuff. And I was like, oh, I kind of like this. Yeah. <laughs> and doing your poses in the mirror. Yeah, I was like, oh, what the hell is that? Oh, that looks good. Uh, I'll keep doing that. <laughs> Okay. And and seeing, I guess seeing those results, because uh, people often quit the gym 
um, very early on before they actually start seeing the changes because mm-hmm. it's it's all uphill. And then when you don't feel as though you're you're actually getting the results, um, that can be quite difficult. But I guess you so obviously you stuck it out, and, and then you started seeing those improvements and and the 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 impetus from that you know seeing actually i'm you know i'm doing something really really cool here i'm you know i'm enjoying it mm-hmm. uh, i'm looking better um i guess that that, that also would have been a, a really good uh, a good catalyst to to help you get clean and stay clean De- um, oh, definitely and and so like yeah so you mentioned like reconnecting with your brother and how much of it of an influence on you has he been um so through childhood uh, he was not really like an older bro- brother, but like a father. He looked after us a lot, um, especially when we were living with mum. Like he used to uh, wag school and come home and feed us and like look after us at school and uh, at home and stuff like that. Uh, so he got to a stage where he couldn't really read or write in adulthood because of that early schooling that he missed out on trying to look after us. Uh we had a bit of a falling out because of my addiction and we lost connection and didn't speak for about six years. Uh, and then we, we reconnected, but my, the falling out that we had was because he tried to help me with my addiction. Uh, the way he helped, it's sort of, we didn't click the way he tried to help me. So he tried to, mm. uh, like to him, he was like, okay, if I just if I just take control of Kane's life, take all his money off him and, and like drip feed it to him and tell him what he's doing, he's coming to the gym, he's doing this, he's doing that, then he, he can't fuck up, you know what I mean? But yeah. to me, I was like, man, all I need is a roof over my head and, and somewhere to live. I've got the rest under control. I know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm on top of it. Uh, and, yeah, we had a massive massive falling out and didn't speak for years which is it was really upsetting because me and him were very close and um Mm. yeah but yeah and i mean i I suppose that's part of um the the journey with families you don't always get along but Mm um i mean he was he 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 came into a point in your life where you could accept that help and and you know was a big part of that you eventually became a a personal trainer um Mm -hmm. as part of this you know going to the gym and you know seeing your own results and i guess wanting to be able to help other people you know discover the best versions of themselves yep what was that journey like for you? Because you, you also mentioned that, uh, I can, and, and also I can imagine you wouldn't have spent a whole lot of time in school, and it's you know there's there's going to be some some uh, some work involved in in kind of learning about biology and and all of that kind of stuff that maybe you hadn't spent a lot of time training yourself on before. Like, what? How difficult was it for you to to get to that point? Uh, um, so, I pretty much wagged all of high school. And I was playing golf. I went to year seven, didn't go to year eight, didn't go to year nine, didn't go to year 10. I pretty much every day I went and played golf. And that was my uh, my life. The foster parents were at the time where I was living. They knew I was uh, playing golf. They knew I was safe at the golf course. I wasn't doing anything bad. Uh, when I got into later in life, I couldn't read or write. Like my ability to do that was very minimal. 
So when I had to do my PT course and I had to sit in front of a computer and read all these massive words <laughs> that were like, I couldn't uh, pronounce them. I couldn't comprehend what they were. Uh, there was a lot of copy and paste into Google and find out what they mean, what they are. Yeah. Uh, and to be honest with you, my PT course, uh, the theory side of things, the writing and like the stuff done on the computer, I was just guessing. I was just clicking and going, <laughs> submit, submit, <laughs> submit until something was right. Um, yeah. But, but the, the practical side of it in the gym and like my understanding of all that was a way above board. Like I knew exactly what I was doing in the gym uh, back then, a bit different to what I do now, but yeah. 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 And uh, you also mentioned that you had, uh, I guess, a mentor or someone who kind of helped start you out on your, your personal training career. Like um, how, how, how important were they for you and like what exactly did they do? Uh, very good. Um, so uh, Jose Thomas was my uh, mentor, first mentor that I had. Uh, when I got my certificate, I found it really hard to get a, a job in the fitness industry or a job at a gym or something like that because I was brutally honest with everyone that I rang. I'm like, hey, I've just been qualified as a PT. This is my past. This is my history. This is what I've essentially done. Can you give me a break. And pretty much everyone was like, nope, 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 nope. Uh, I think I applied for like 35 or 40 different places. And then one per Jose Thomas gave me a break. He's like, yep, come in and see me. We'll have a chat. We'll, you know, discuss what your options are and stuff like that. And um, on the, the first interview, I walked in and I'm like, oh, hey, mate, how you doing? Um, how long is this going to take? Because I've got to go see the police after this. <laughs> he sort of <laughs> looked, he looked at me. He's like, that's not the first thing you say on an interview, dude. Like, come on. <laughs> I was like, sorry, man, but I just, it's it's something I've got to do or else I get in a lot of trouble. So I just needed to know. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And, yeah. and I guess honesty is always the best policy. Right? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> So you've you've uh, you have a your own gym at the moment, right? And or is it you you do uh, fitness classes online? Uh, so we did have our own gym, but after COVID and stuff like that, I've moved into a commercial gym and I train people out of there now. But um, okay. yeah, we have a online coaching program where we train people all over the world as well. That's pretty pretty awesome training people that yeah. you've never never met sort of in person over the other side of the world, like in Scotland and America. And you're just like, that's, that's pretty cool to help people all the way over there. <laughs> wow. And that's a pretty incredible journey going from the skinny kid walking into a gym and unable to lift the bar to now training, um, you know, thousands of people all over the world mm -hmm. to, you know, help them uh, realize their, their dreams. So your story, so, you know, the family stuff that you went through, your mom, your mom being in drugs, um, foster care, uh, your own addiction, all of that is um, potentially it's, it's, it's quite a, a difficult thing to share. Did you ever feel afraid to kind of talk about that kind of stuff? Because I can imagine, like you know, thinking about people might judging, uh, judge mm -hmm. you, and, and like, yeah. Um, so when I did my first transformation with my current mentor, um, 
he was like, listen, you, you, you've got to tell your story. You've got to write something for me to post about you with these photos. And I was like, no way. I don't, <laughs> I don't want people to know who I am and what I've done and everything like that because how am I meant to get any kind of business up and running if people are judging me for being a drug addict or like, you know, a criminal or someone who's been through adversity and stuff like that. Like, I don't want people to know me that way. And he's like, you don't, you don't understand, man. This will be like an inspiration to so many people. If you can just put into words, you know, what's, what's happened to you. And, um, it took, I think it was about six months of him like going, come on, come on, let's do this. Put it out there. It'll be a good thing. Trust me. And uh, I had yeah. to trust. I had to trust him. And yeah, when I put the story out there, I was just like, "Wow, I have to." I had to turn my Facebook off because it was just crazy. Um, mm. But yeah, heaps, heaps of like positivity came back to me. Uh, I had a lot of parents messaging me and saying, "Hey, my kid's in the same boat. How do I help him?" Um, yeah. And yeah, like. It was a pretty cool, cool experience. Yeah. And sharing that so obviously gave you a chance to, I guess, find healing in a way that you didn't know existed and also the opportunity to, to connect with people and help them. Like, how's that journey been for you? I guess, you know, now that you're more or less pretty comfortable with putting this stuff out there and sharing yourself, the knowledge that someone's going to hear this and not think, oh, you know, he's, he's such a low life, but think, my goodness, what an incredible journey. And and if he can do it, I can do it too. Or, you know, I know someone who's at that point in their life and they just need some hope and I can be that person to them to help them through it. It's It's been unbelievable, man. Like I can't, I can't put it into words how cool it is to get a message from someone, like just someone I've never met, someone I, I didn't even know like on Facebook. And they're like, hey, Kane, I just want to let you know, I've read your story. I've been following you for a while and you've, inspired me to get better and i've been clean now for six months i'm like oh man wow my mind is blown by stuff like that i just like even now i've got to starting to get a bit teary from it so yeah it's just it's incredible and yeah it's just i can't i can't put it into words how cool it is to get that kind of thing Often I hear, so, you know, there's this, this story of, you know, I was at this, this real low point and now I'm, I'm here and it's, it's almost built, built as this kind of this, this slope, this upward trajectory where, where you go from point A to point B and now everything's good, everything's fixed. But <laughs> I, I don't think that's how life really works. I think, you know, no. there's a lot of ups and downs in between and surely like you know so even though you you've overcome the addiction like are there still days where you feel low or you know you think back to a certain time in your life and think you know like just fall i guess fall into a bit of a depression or just feel like actually i've got to i've got to take something like how do you deal with that um uh, so i'm i still view myself as an addict because there are not not so much now but earlier in my, like when I got clean, I would wake up in the morning and I would think about drugs. I would, you know, dream about them at night. It would be still a part of me. Uh, I still think about them to, to this day. Uh, some mornings I wake up and I'm like, mm, you know, geez, that'd be nice to, to have. But then 
my smarter self, my sort of <laughs> the the person I am now is like, no, just go eat your meat and veg in the morning, have your water, you know, stick to the, what has made you into this uh, this better person. Um, it's still not smooth sailing these days. Uh, I have, unfortunately, I've got a little bit of depression these days. I don't know whether it was still there earlier in my life, like when I was an addict or when I was a kid or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But um, these days I do suffer a little bit from it. It's not anything crazy like some people I know, but it does affect me. Uh, and those days trying to deal with that, sorry, those days, weeks or months, sometimes it hits me hard. Uh, they're yeah. really hard to deal with. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I can imagine with you know everything with lockdown and coronavirus, just that that doesn't help situations at all. Man, that was so hard. Like the first lockdown here, um, we just before lockdown, I sold all our equipment out of our shed, and we had pretty much nothing to use, like to lift weights. And I love lifting weights. That's for me lifting weights is what keeps my mental health in check most days uh and we had to use trx's and like the suspension bands and um Mm. they're good for about a week (laughs) and then you just you just get over them and yeah my mental health plummeted uh and then the gyms opened back up here and i was like cool i can start working in the gym i started getting in there meeting new people uh i love teaching people that have never lifted weights before how to do it safely and correctly and then lift bigger weights than they thought they ever could. Uh, And that lasted two and a half weeks and then they shut us down again. Fortunately, this time I borrowed some gym equipment from the gym and we could lift weights in the shed at my house. Uh, And that, that saved me through the second lockdown. Like it kept me Anytime I felt down or something like that, I'd go out in the shed and just lift some weights, and I'm, I'm good. That's, the, okay. <laughs> that's pretty, some some people might not understand that, but for someone uh, that that really loves weightlifting and it is therapy for them, they'll understand what I mean. Um, yeah, no, I get it. I yeah, get it. Cool. And yeah, we all. I, I guess we all have that that one thing that really kind of helps us through the difficult moments. For me, and you know, you mentioned before, like you you had a real affinity for golf, and and now for you, weightlifting is something that you find real, um, real joy. And yeah, it's quite it's quite a therapeutic activity yeah. for me. It was cycling. Um, you know, when when I had my low periods in life. Uh, the bike was my salvation, you know, I'd get mm-hmm. out on, on the bike and, you know, just cycle, head out of London. And it it's just you and your thoughts. And there's, there's, and I think the part of it that I really enjoyed was there's almost like an internal psychological battle because your muscles are telling you, I can't do this, but there's, <laughs> there's, you know, your mind has to then overcome that. And then looking back and saying, yeah, I, I did that. I did that. Yeah. And, you know, the, the the joy and satisfaction you get from having overcome that challenge, I guess, yeah. helps you feel as though you can overcome other challenges in your life. 100%, man. Pushing your body past uh, its limits and what, what you thought or what your mind is telling you you can do and pushing past that, like, there's no better feeling than that, even though after doing like a heavy set of weights, I fall on the ground and I'm like, 
struggling to breathe and I'm sweaty and I feel like throwing up, to me, that's like, oh, that is so <laughs> good. I, I, I can't explain how good it feels. <laughs> I, 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 know, I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Cool. Uh, so I have a final question for you. I guess it wouldn't be unfair to say that your mom has had an incredible influence on your life negatively. Do you blame her at all for like all of the trauma that you've had to endure and, and you know, for how things kind of turned out with you um, in, in those 11 years? Um, so I did at the start, like I hated her and I resented her. Uh, but going through my own journey, I had some sort of understanding, if you want to call it that. And then once I cleaned myself up, I didn't have that resentment towards her or that hate. Uh, and I, it took me a while before I forgave her for everything that she's done or I thought I had, um, but I couldn't forget what had happened. Uh, and it wasn't until recently that she's been trying to reconnect with me through Facebook. And mm -hmm. I've realized that I still haven't dealt with everything because I get extremely angry and down when she tries to contact me. And it, it still affects me and it, it shits me that she still has this control over me. Um, but yeah, it's just obviously something I've got to work harder on. But yeah, I don't, I don't hate her. I just, it's hard to explain. Like I don't, I don't want her in my life at all yeah. because every time I've let her back into my life, something major has gone wrong. And I've got a lot to mm. lose now. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I, I understand. I understand exactly what you mean. It's you know, it's a difficult situation because on on one hand, a part of you wants to you know have the happily ever after, and you know, you know, you being in in a better place than you know you've probably ever been. Um, there's also a huge risk that comes comes with that. Um, so, so yeah, no, I get it. I get mm. it. But um, I do. I do hope, however things work out between the both of you, that it's it's positive, um, and whatever that looks like for you, it, it you know you can you can love each other from a distance. Yeah. So you you've uh, you're engaged now, is that correct? Yes, I have an awesome fiance. Uh, she had her own battles with mental illness, and fortunately, she started lifting weights with me, and now she's conquered pretty much conquered that. Uh, works in the business with me she runs more of the online side of things where i do the face-to-face -face and online uh we're launching a podcast together um a second podcast sorry and yeah she's cool <laughs> she's very cool she's probably listening to me at the door right now <laughs> we covered heaps man <laughs> that, was, that was awesome <laughs> fantastic thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode be sure to follow us on Instagram at Manting Podcast or check out the website mantingpodcast.com. Please like, comment and subscribe to the show on whichever streaming platform you're listening to this on, as the more feedback we get, the better we can make the show. I'm your host, Jaden McLaren, and this was Manting. It is, but to, it's a bit awkward. So we've been in lockdown since pretty much last year, March now. Um, we kind of had a brief period where where we were kind of, they took the reins off and we all ran free and, and then they said, no, 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 no. So we've, we've been in a full lockdown since maybe... Um, 
probably September because we were in a lockdown and then we came out for two days and then went straight back into another one. Damn, that's gonna hurt, man. There's there's only so much Netflix you can watch before it gets boring. Goodness, we've we've got all the streaming stuff now. There's Netflix, Disney Plus, Amazon (laughs) Prime. Oh gosh, I don't know where it ends. Uh, so the first podcast we had was Skinny the Strong, and it's pretty much uh, because I started out really skinny, and I went through a journey, and I put on healthy weight, uh, and my girlfriend is currently, sorry, fiance, is currently doing the same thing. And the second podcast that we're starting, because we both suffer with mental illness, we're talking about our experiences with keeping mentally healthy. How can someone get in contact with you and find out more? Uh, so they can find us on Facebook at the Skinny the Strong Podcast. Uh, and yeah, that that'd be the easiest way to contact us. It's just through there. I wanna see it, see it.